The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Broadcasting from beautiful, sexy, steamy Studio City, California, this is the Knapsack Files. I'm Ken Knapsack for a very special edition of the program. It is a Q&A episode. Now you're saying to yourself, Ken, you pompous, self-absorbed jerk, are you really going to interview yourself? Well, kind of. Here's the deal. In February of this very year, I launched my Patreon page, and it has been going uh, very well. I'm, I'm humbled by the support I've received so far. You can uh, go to that page on uh, patreon.com slash thenapsockfiles if you're interested in uh, pledging and supporting this channel and feed as it grows and uh, moves on in uh, 2017. And I set a goal, as you're uh, supposed to do on Patreon, you're supposed to set uh, several goals, increasing goals. I didn't think I'd reach my first one, and the first goal was upon reaching 50 patrons on Patreon, I would do a episode of the Knapsack Files based around questions received only from those first 50 supporters or so. Uh, I think a couple from numbers 51 and 52 might have snuck in, but hey, it all counts. I am thankful for the support. So that's what we're going to do today. I received a lot of questions, uh, some multiple questions from some people, some good questions, and I'm going to address all of them here today. And if you're not a supporter of the Patreon page and you don't want to hear me ramble about myself, I understand. Guests will be back next week. Life Ranked goes on. We got a great one uh, coming up. Uh, I just recorded the other day. I can't say much about it yet. Uh, fun stuff coming. So I understand if you don't want to hear me talk about me. But it is a reward that I'm happy to fulfill for my supporters on Patreon. And uh, that is that. So uh, I will humbly continue. Ken, are you ready? Well, yes, sir, I'm ready. All right, we're not going to do that again. I divided it up into some different categories, kind of putting the questions as best I can into these categories to make it seem some kind of sense. So we might jump around from different uh, uh, different names might appear a couple times here. I also have some people sent multiple Questions that I felt uh, it was just best to put that in its own category. So uh, that is where we're going to go. These questions, they are wide-ranging. Some might expect uh, questions in the category. A lot of Star Wars stuff. Definitely when I, when you're known for being a Star Wars guy in the podcast uh, YouTube world, you're going to get Star Wars questions, and I'm happy to answer them here. Uh, and also, if you're new to this channel and maybe new to me, uh, I have the Force Center podcast feed with Joseph Scrimshaw and Jennifer Landa, and we uh, we talk Star Wars all the time over there. So uh, if, you, if you want more about Star Wars, that's the place to go. But we don't, we're going to have some fun here and answer Star Wars questions here. Let's start with some lifestyle questions, and that could be, that's a wild range. Just, just life. Just life in general. Tim Van Newland asks me, he says, for congratulations, Ken. My question is, what is your perfect day? And I, I think that's a good way to start the show. Tim and uh, anyone listening, I, I must confess, it, it's been brought up before, I am a bit of a workaholic. However, what's interesting is I'm a workaholic who doesn't like working. I work, and I work hard to hopefully one day, well before retirement, not have to work. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I, I actually think the opposite is going to happen because I've chosen a career path that will lead me to needing to be a Walmart greeter or work some kind of graveyard shift into my 70s somewhere. Uh, I just, I, I, you, you take a lot of risks in the entertainment career, and, and the career I have now, 
did not exist just a few years ago. So I'm just starting to make my way in this field. You know, some money comes in now, and I definitely have a full-time job over at Collider and had one of the screen junkies. But I, let me tell you some kids. You can check my credit card statements. I ain't making money. So uh, I uh, have uh, my idea of uh, a perfect day, Tim, is a little warped. I, I'd like a little sleep in. Not too much. We're not talking like an 11 a.m. noon wake up. I like to I like to get up about 9.30 a.m. That's a perfect wake-up time for me. And then, I, if, if possible, I'll take a walk. And if it's on the weekends, I'll run to the gym. But, uh, you know, a nice walk. Put in the headphones. Maybe walk to 7-Eleven. Get a nice coffee. Say hi to my friends at 7-Eleven because I go there so much. Then, then I come home, and, and then I'll get some work done. That's right. My perfect day includes work. I don't know the word relax. I struggle with uh, that concept of relaxing. I cannot turn off my mind too much. If I take uh, sit down and rest and maybe watch a movie, play video games, read a book, all things I like to do, read a comic book, all things I like to do, I feel guilty if I'm not working. There has been times, no joke, no playing it up for the microphone here, that maybe on a weekend I've been exhausted after a busy week of work and I'll uh, in the afternoon uh, I'll lay down after... You know, working out after recording maybe a Spotlight Star Wars over the for the Force Center podcast feed, doing all that, I will uh, I'll lay down for like a nap or just to watch some TV and just turn off my mind, and then within ten minutes I'll be back up recording another show, working on something else. And again, I don't overly enjoy work. I gotta say, I'm kind of a lazy workaholic. I work, I work hard, but I, the whole time I'm wishing I wasn't working. But then when I get the chance to not work, I work. So that's what I'm saying. This is my perfect day. Get some work done, then take a nap. I'd like to be able to take naps. I miss being able to take naps. I have a lot of nap anxiety. I lay down, put my head on the pillow, and nope, can't do it. Can't take a nap. I used to love them regularly when I was growing up. Uh, and then for dinner, some Mexican food. Chips, some salsa, carne asada, a cheese enchilada, margarita. That's that's my favorite meal. I can't have it too much anymore, uh, but that is my favorite meal. And if you're talking about a perfect day, then that's what I'd want. Second choice, maybe some chain restaurant barbecue, but going Mexican food there. And then I better head to the gym because then I'd feel guilty. So that's a perfect day. Sleep in, casual walk, get some work done, take a nap, some good Mexican food, chips and salsa is the key, and then hit the gym because I'd feel guilty. It's not the greatest perfect day, Tim, but it's definitely the kind of perfect day I want. Patrick Martin asked me a question. He says, hey, any advice for someone dealing with the constant anxiety and fear of wrapping up college and, and joining the adult world? He says, I still have no idea what I'm going to do. Frowny face. Patrick, first of all, I suffer from depression more than anxiety, but oh, like a lot of people, I do have anxieties and definitely have fears of the future. So my advice, I, I look to my own failures. That's where my advice comes from. I look from where I have done wrong, and I say, here's my analysis of my own mistakes and what I would have done different. You may have some different circumstances, different career goals, anyone out there listening. But what I say, Patrick, what I wish I had done, especially in my early 20s and, uh, and into my early 30s, is live in the now. Um, Yoda says it to Luke, right? Mind, your mind is never on where you are. Uh, always off Dagobah, Luke. Come on. I'm paraphrasing Yoda, of course. Live in the now because I, I was so worried. And that anxiety is the fear of the future. Depression is kind of living in the past. I was so worried about what was going to end up, so worried about uh, what was going to happen that I didn't focus on um, where I was, which uh, meant I might have missed opportunities. I might have missed things and friends and friendships and connections that were coming along. 
that I uh, could have uh, uh, successfully, uh, you know, used in a good way to to move my career forward faster. Then I, I think you had to take stock of what you do have. That's the hardest thing: perspective. And all all of us humans, it's we're we're always gonna. I do it now. I can't tell you how many times my radio job. I love my radio. You guys have heard me talk about my radio job if you listen to me for any length of time. Uh, I miss it. It's my favorite thing. I'll never have that job again because radio has forever changed. And it's, uh, in general, not a money-making venture. Uh, not that I'm doing things for money, but it's just not a sustainable career, really, for me. But during that time, the radio, I looked so past my radio career. I was trying to write. I was trying to do other things. I was bitter, uh, upset, got uh, caught up in drama. And, and we do it. And I have that pattern. And I should have recognized that pattern early. Um, but I didn't take stock of where I was. The radio job was the fav- my most favorite job. Best thing I ever had. I didn't appreciate it at the time I had. I wish I'd taken stock of what I had there. Patrick, third thing, enjoy the ride. Life is this journey. It's going to have ups and downs. You're going to have depression. It's going to have failures. You're going to have so many failures. Do not be afraid to fail. Do not be afraid to try. You hear those cliches and you roll your eyes and you think, wow, what does that really mean? It is that simple. I think the best advice is this simple, most direct advice. And I say enjoy the ride. Quit looking past. Quit looking so deep into the future. Look at what is right in front of you. Have goals. Have dreams, turn those dreams into goals, work hard, all that good stuff. But I really think sometimes we just got to slow down and, and enjoy and take stock of things we have right now. And also the final thing, Patrick, the final thing about joining the adult world, I can tell you as I uh, am approaching 41, no one knows how this goes. That is the biggest truth that is out there, that uh, your youth, uh, as you grew up, Everyone you looked up to, everyone in your life who uh, was uh, older than you and you took advice from, your parents, uh, other friends, uh, people in the media, sports figures, anyone, anyone, anyone. No one knows how this goes. No one's figuring it out. Uh, my parents are in their late 60s now. I, they're, they're now figuring out how do, you, how do you be in your late 60s. They can look back and say, Here's how you you could be in your 40s, 50s. I can look back at 41, to coming up on 41, and say, Patrick, here's what my 20s or 30s should have been like. But I don't know how to be 41, just like my parents don't know how to be late 60s. No one knows. No one knows. And if once you kind of accept that and release that kind of stress and anxiety, thinking you're the one who doesn't know how this is going and everyone else has this figured out, I think you can start taking some deep breaths and enjoying the ride and taking stock of what you have and living in the now. There's a dog barking in the background, and I'm not going to edit that out because I like dogs. That dog is here to give you advice too, Patrick. Uh, It is a little barky thing. All right, uh, I'm going to mess this name up. We're going to say it. Andre Constantinescu. Constantinescu? Wow, I love that name. That's a fierce name. It belongs in a UFC ring. Love it. Andre says, love the show's getting seriously. You seem to be a guy with lots of peers and equals in your various fields, comedy, writing, etc., etc. I'm wondering, do you have any mentor that has helped guide you through your career, or maybe better said, who in your life has been a positive influence to make you the man you are today? Great question. It made me think. It made me think. There's been a lot of people along the way who have helped me 
uh, helped me at different various times, and sometimes it's career-related, sometimes it's life. I, I've had two very good parents who have, have uh, taught me, and my parents are human, so maybe they've definitely made mistakes over the over the years, but um, part of my growing up was realizing that your parents are, are people, too, and like I said before, they don't know what this parent thing is. They're figuring out as they go along. So at the end of the day, my parents have taught me a lot uh, of what to be, who to be. Uh, some of their own mistakes and failures that uh, they've shared with me are, are stuff that I, I think are even more valuable lessons. And I've taken all that to heart there. I definitely had some teachers growing up. There's an art teacher named John Olachek, who uh, at Arroyo Grande High School, I was class in 1994. He taught me, I think I was in his class in like 1992, 93. And then I was a teacher's aide with him in 94. And he was a kind of a quirky, artistic guy. And he just helped foster that side. And was one of those teachers that got what high school was. He took it seriously. He took his job seriously. But he got what it was. He, He was ready uh, you know, had me kind of mentally ready to look past this and start uh, and start. You know, you know, high school wasn't everything, and he was prepared, laid some groundwork for there too. Um, that was key. A uh, great drama teacher named Billy Hauk, uh, who helped me refine my uh, love of pa- of acting or entertaining. I had a, a drama teacher in junior high named Mike Lebo, who was uh, uh, Judkins Middle School who fostered a lot of my skills early on. And when I, when I hit the groundlings later on in, in my ill-fated run as a student there for four or five years in, in, uh, when I moved to L.A., I already was ahead up because in seventh grade at age 12, I, I'd been taught so much great improv from uh, uh, this, this teacher named Mike Lebo. He was good. Uh, I'm just listing names that don't mean to a lot of you people, but, but they mean a lot to me. And, and it also shows that a lot of these, it's always going to change. And there was never, there's never one Obi-Wan Kenobi for me. There's just a bunch. In my radio career, uh, Freddie B and, and, and John Mackey were the radio hosts that got me in there. Uh, John Mackey was a program director. They, they put me on that path. And John Mackey was the first to look at me and say, hey, crazy kid who likes to make little uh, pop culture and history references while doing the sports reporting, uh, run with it. Have, have some airtime. At 18, 19, 20 years of age, I had a radio career because of John and because of uh, this guy, Freddie, Freddie B., Fred Boker, bringing me in. Um, that meant a lot to me, too. Uh, upon going to L.A., though, things change. And, you know, I, there's, there's comics. I look to my peers a lot. And, and uh, even now, I, my, my mentors are my peers. I learn a lot from those guys because they may have done different things uh, that I have. Even now, you know, one of my working with Force Center uh, with jo- Joseph Scrimshaw, uh, you know, he had a whole career in Minnesota, so I can learn from him. Even though we're peers, I learned from him and, and how he established his own brand and, and dominated a state and took a big risk to go to California. Uh, the Schmoes, Christian Harloff, Mark Ellis, those guys, they built up a brand from scratch. They're dedicated. Uh, a lot of what I know about building a, a podcast and, and YouTube entertainment career, uh, though I'm not a classic YouTuber, but my careers in digital media comes from just watching what they were doing. And, and comics, my friend Chip Dornell is a, a comic influences I was coming up in comedy. Brian Keith Etheridge, Peter Spreider, the guys that took me from the groundlings, put me into stand-up comedy. So for their, for a good year, they were my mentors. A, a guy by the name of uh, Tim Blaney, who uh, some might know as the voice of, of Johnny Five in Short Circuit and Frank the Pug in Men in Black. Uh, we met in the groundlings, and he was uh, you know about 15 years old or so, and, and he for a time was a guy that I would meet and have lunch with and, and go right at his house and just kind of uh, 
learn from him and, and a guy who had a second marriage that was that was uh, way way more successful and still going strong that has given him two children late in life and uh, even then I knew that might be my situation down the line so I learned from him uh, and then in my job that, that I don't talk about much I had I had uh, a guy named uh, Lieutenant Mike Bowers a retired LAPD uh, lieutenant who had uh, retired because he was injured and he ended up going to the private security field and I knew him and then ended up working for him um, and uh, in, in that crazy industry of private security, this this absolutely wonderful, charismatic, wise, and altogether crazy man was uh, taught me how to be a leader, but also taught me how to be a boss. Taught me uh, how to, uh, you know, I, I at one point managed a staff of fifty plus employees or so, a lot of them active police officers, and Mike taught me to do that. And he was something I still strive to be. Where any room he walked into, he left with people loving him. Uh, anyone he arrested, if, if even if it started kind of negative, it could end up with a positive interaction and 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 just how to deal with the public and how to deal with people of all kinds uh, on as an individual came from uh, this guy named Mike Bowers. And then uh, one of them, my, my friend Dan Farron, who's, uh, who's uh, slightly older, if you're listening, Dan, wink, wink. I, I learn a lot from him because he is a, we have similar souls, and uh, he is an older soul and now is finally old. He finally caught up with his soul, I think, and, and he's guided me through the wilds of professional wrestling and, and, and encouraged me always to, to find my own voice, even uh, even when I started to move forward in my career because uh, my voice was uh, you know, working for other people and still is, and, and, and I still look to those words. And so all that. All that to say, and I apologize if you're listening. I'm listening off a bunch of names that don't mean anything to you, but they mean the world to me. But again, Andre, it shows that it 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 never really ends, and I never there's never been one mentor or one person at any time. Life is this long journey, just like a song might say. And these people constantly uh, come into your lives, and it's important to be open and ready to learn from from them. There. Ulrich Stowe Vetland. I'm probably saying that's completely incorrect. Apologize. But Ulrich, he says, have you ever traveled to any places outside the U.S.? Are there any countries uh, or specific places you would like to visit? I don't travel much. I want to. I want to now. I didn't care about it. But then uh, my family didn't travel. We were a lower middle class family, so we didn't do a lot of traveling um, when I was younger. So we'd go a lot to Yosemite or the places local to California because that's just that's what my parents could afford. And, and uh, I have great memories of that, so I don't begrudge that at all. Uh, I had friends who would travel around the world, but uh, we couldn't. And we made do with what we had, and we had uh, a great time on our family vacations once a year. But... Uh, I didn't, so I didn't, I didn't have traveling in my blood. Didn't fly. It, it was like my late twenties before I f- actually got into an airplane to fly. Uh, and then by then a lot of anxiety was the reason I wasn't in plane, uh, planes, uh, earlier. Um, so th- I don't, you know what? I'd love to see the world. I I've gotten to drive cross country and I think the United States is a wonderful country and I still don't think I've seen enough of the United States. Uh, but I've driven cross country a couple times on the 40 all the way out to Tennessee. Um, staying out there a few times and, uh, there's a lot of places in the United States I love and want to go back to and other places I still want to still want to see but uh, talking outside the US uh, you know Canada simple our neighbors to the north I love the I'm cold weather person I love to head up there um, and, and uh, you know have have a uh, play some uh, play some hockey up there with some friends I don't know 
I don't know what I'm talking about. Canada's on my list. Uh, various places in Canada. United Kingdom, as a, as a lifelong Beatle fan, I, I got to go do the, the London uh, Beatle tours. I got to go up to Liverpool, got to do all that. But it was just the United Kingdom in general. I feel, I feel like I could find a, a good connection there. And who knows, maybe not want to leave. And uh, then uh, Russia in general. Uh, I say Russia because it's just easier to say. I could say the old USSR, the Soviet Union. Uh, that is my background. That is my, my heritage. A large part of my heritage is uh, I'm Circassian and Ukrainian, and uh, uh, that comes from my father's side, my grandparents, who are still alive and live here in California at 93, still both of them alive and self-sufficient. Uh, they came from the old country. Uh, longer story about them having to leave after World War II, or, or about five years after World War II, because uh, my grandfather was uh, captured and press-ganged into the German army, the Nazis, and fought for them against his, his will, then escaped eventually, but was uh, it, it's, a, it's a longer story. Um, but after that, he was not allowed back into the USSR. In fact, uh, I think still to this day, his name's probably on a list somewhere. He did try to go back later when his mom passed away, and they would not let him back in the country. So um, I would like to get that. I am the last knapsack in the world, as far as we know, uh, in terms of the lineage. The line dies with me. Um, that's a lot of pressure. And I don't know if I'm going to succeed in, in carrying on the line, but I wouldn't mind trying to go back to uh, uh, a little bit of the old country, up to Kiev and uh, Ukraine, where my grandmother's from, and uh, like I said, my grandfather is Circassian, uh, the white Russians. We are literally white Russians. Uh, um, uh, I, I, I could, I'd like to one day do that. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but it's on my list. So, Rick, I would, I would. Uh, there's a lot of other wonderful places. I wish uh, Westeros and Essos were real places, but apparently, Game of Thrones is fictional. Uh, Andrew Romanello, he's popping up a few times here. He says uh, he's about to make, possibly make a big career switch, one with large risk and rewards. He says, I'm not unhappy with what I do, but I'm looking for a new challenge in life. How did you make the decision to switch careers? Any advice you would give uh, would be greatly appreciated. Andrew, uh, thanks for the question. Thanks for the support. Um, here's the deal. I, I will say this. Uh, my switch, which uh, if you're listening to me long enough, you know, after a 17-year career in L.A. Uh, as a uh, uh, director of security and a, and a, and a private security um, employee, um, I switched to work for Screen Junkies, produce, do on-air stuff for them, and now at Collider with Complex Media. But, I, you know, that was uh, not something – there was not a – it was a decision I always wanted to make. The 17 years in the private security field was a day job that did not end. During the entire time there, I was performing stand-up. I was writing. I was trying desperately to get out. But an interesting thing happened. Um, when I finally got the offer, there was two, a series of events. In May of 2015, I was ready to pack it in and head home and maybe give up my career here in Hollywood, my dreams, I should say, or my goals, tired of working in the security industry, tired of just what, what that had become, um, I, I wanted to uh, maybe pack it in, and I kind of came up with that decision. And then a friend of mine, another another friend who's a mentor, a guy named Chris McNeil, uh, old junior high friend, kind of ran back into my life. And me and another friend uh, named Matt Donovan, who I'd worked in radio with and went to high school with and still close friends with, uh, they kind of talked in their own way. I don't even think they realized it. Talked me out of uh, moving back home. And um, about a week later is when I got the call from Screen Junkies, Andy Signore, and uh, made that decision to, to leave. However, it wasn't interesting. And an interesting, interesting thing happened. It, it wasn't, uh, uh, I should say, it, was, it was, uh, wasn't easy. Um, 
I had made up mentally the 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 idea was was set in my head. Uh, I was going to leave. It was a uh, not so much a raise. Actually, it was less money, not a lot, but it was less money to make this switch. But it was enough where it wasn't really a risk. Uh, but on the that day, I was going to announce it to my employers. I got offered a job that would have been a regional position overseeing the west some western regions of uh, malls and uh, and the security industry and it was a over $30,000 a year raise and I like a lot of people a lot of Americans have a lot of debt and so it was do I go to a job I'm, I I know I could probably do but there's some risk you know you never know and 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 Andy was really up front and screen junkies was up front uh, hey if it doesn't work out we're not going to hold you on just because you're quitting this day job we're rooting for you we're happy for you we want you on our team but if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out you have to know that and I knew that if I left my job where I was now I I wouldn't easily get it back I probably couldn't get it back so going to screen junkies was a risk but then this other promotion comes in other promotion comes in and $30,000 is nothing to sneeze at in terms of a raise, but I knew I might be unhappy, but it was that big question. So here's the story, Andrew. Uh, I don't know the situation of your switch, but uh, another mentor-like character who unfortunately is no longer with us is a LAPD, uh, was sadly, an LAPD detective, a guy named Ned Russell, and uh, I'd worked with him. He'd worked for me as an off-duty, in an off-duty capacity. Um, just happened randomly. I'm putting quotes around randomly. Showed up my office a day. I hadn't seen him in about a year. He had stopped working for me. And uh, he came by. He was investigating something and just stopped by the office to say hi. And I told him what was going on. And he told me the story. An old partner of his uh, had moved to L.A. to become a drummer, a rock drummer. Wasn't working out. He had become a police officer and was uh, Ned's partner. And uh, one day, this guy pulled Ned aside and said, I got an interesting situation. I got a quandary. I've been offered uh, a job with my brother to go tour um, and, and, and drum with him. I'd have to leave the force, leave the LAPD. And um, he'd been on long enough to where that kind of meant something. And, you know, I can always get, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a risk. What do I do? And Ned told him, just like he told me this day as he was telling the story. You can always get another police job. You can always find something else to do to make money. But you came here to L.A. to drum. You came here to do that. You need to do this. You have to do this job. So he did. He quit the police force, took the job as a touring drummer with his brother's band. His brother, as it turned out, was Bruno Mars. Uh, That guy has never looked back. He's never returned to a day job, never returned to the police career. Uh, He's doing all right. So, Andrew, you got to take those risks. You just got to buckle down and do it. You got to know that if you're not dead, you're still going. And that is what I finally did with Screen Junkies. And then I had a job switch, surprisingly. I didn't think I'd be switching that earlier, but I did. A good opportunity came up with Collider, and that was another risk. Always going to be risks. That's the advice I could say, Andrew. Do, Do it. Take that risk. Weigh the options. Way what could happen, but I say, do it. All right, two questions here. Starting off up, uh, Isaac Horvat and uh, Rob Carney. Uh, now, Rob has a question about comedians. I'll come back to later. But both of them, they 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 ask. I'd love to hear your position on the. This is from Isaac Horvat. I'd love to hear your position on the quote forbidden topics of politics and religion. And and Rob says, Hey, I'd fully support you letting those on your letting uh, loose on your thoughts on politics and religion. I have a feeling it won't be as a risky one as you might think. I highly suspect many of your supporters are on the same page. Anyways, I'm still. Rob, Isaac, I get what you're saying, and I appreciate you want to hear it. I'm still not going to 
talk about it in general. Uh, it's not so much uh, that I fear losing supporters or angering people. It is, um, and these are time. These are weird times, obviously. Uh, I'll say this: I am uh, a born and raised Christian. I, I still consider myself that, though. Uh, what that means to me has changed over the years, but I still hold true to a lot of uh, those beliefs. Um, but if you put me in a room full of Christians, I will challenge each and every one of them. I will challenge each and every one of them. I will challenge their beliefs. I will challenge what they think. Um, trying to get them to think outside of their own circle. If you put me in a room full of atheists, I won't say any. I won't put anything down anyone's throat. But given the opportunity, or if I'm asked, I will challenge them too. I live in a, in a world, in a circle of friendship, surrounded by so many different people of different walks of life. And that, that happened because I moved to L.A. It happened because, uh, in general, I'm a nice enough guy, and I think people like me. And, uh, you know, sometimes, I don't know, wink, wink. Um, so I feel it's important. I feel it's important for you to have some close friends that don't look like you, don't sound like you, and don't believe in things like you. I think that's important. And now more than ever, that's a belief I've held for, you know, 20 plus years, and I think it's worked out nice. I, I, I think in this day and age of politics, keep, keep your head on a swivel, number one. Not, don't be afraid to move your position. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a registered independent. I generally, per voting record, would probably say I'm a Republican. That's no longer true. Uh, my votes have changed. That's all I'll say. Um, I believe what, uh, what John Adams uh, once said about uh, have an issue. I'm paraphrasing because it's not in front of me, but uh, second president of the United States of America uh, definitely took issue with a two-party system, saying it's both parties uh, maneuvering behind their chosen leaders. And I see that as one of the problems in politics today, uh, particularly on the Republican side, of locking in, zeroing in, and not being, uh, not moving, not not being willing to kind of uh, adjust your positions and adjust for people and adjust for individuals and adjust for groups. And that scares me as well. So I, uh, I still don't go into it. Um, I have, uh, you know, I have uh, strong beliefs on defense and obviously you can tell probably some strong beliefs on uh, law enforcement that differ uh, than the general public. But I... Uh, I don't shy away from it because I don't want to talk about it. I talk about it often with uh, people on an individual basis. But I feel it's too easy, especially nowadays, it's too easy to take something I say and spin it into the thing you want to hear or the thing you don't want to hear. I also feel as though I didn't get into this in industry 20 years ago to do that. I, I, uh, I look at the Steve Martin approach. He, he got successful, he said, because while everyone in the 70s was talking about Nixon, Watergate, and politics, he stuck an arrow through his head. Now, I do believe, you know, in these times, I understand um, using your voice, that, that phrase, using your voice. But what I also don't like is uh, I get bullied sometimes by people inside my industry about uh, demanding I use my voice, but it always means they want me to use their voice for their agenda and not mine. And I don't like to be bullied in that regard either, and I think that happens too. I saw it, I saw it over working uh, recently Schmoes and Collider, that Marlon Brando story uh, from the last Tango in Paris that came out. There was a, a horrible story about possible uh, and, and you know possible uh, just misconduct on, on on set with that sex scene and, and just bad stuff and and. Um, uh, it got kind of crazy, and we wanted to talk about it. But I got I got some people writing me, uh, tweeting me, and kind of bullying me, saying I had to talk about it. And I felt they wanted me to talk about it in their way, and not my way. And I ended up talking about it on Schmoes. 
But uh, I also don't like this is my career. It's my money. It's my job, and it's my security. And I also work for uh, a big company. And a lot of people out there freewheeling, tweeting uh, left and right, uh, saying what they want. And when they want me to say things, too, uh, it's not um, their money they're worried about, you know. It, this is mine. They don't have to worry about my career. They can just tell me, call me up. Hey, you need to talk about this. You should talk about this. You should, quote, use your voice. And, yep, you know what? There's some things I probably want to say. And I definitely, on an individual daily basis, uphold those beliefs and glad to talk about it. But uh, professionally, I choose right now to just kind of do what I set out to do from the beginning. You never know when that changes. That pops up every now and then. Something happens. Um, but it is, uh, it's a weird time, not just, not just because of what's going on in the, uh, in the U.S. government now and the White House and all that fun stuff, uh, quoting quotation marks around the word fun, but I just think... With Twitter and Facebook and this very thing, podcast, there's just so much information out there and so much uh, ability for people to use, just use my voice for their own agenda, twist it around and take things away from me that I've earned. You know, I've seen I've seen some of that stuff happen. I've seen people lose their jobs because uh, something they said and actually, you know, was well intended and I've just seen it happen. I am so against uh, trial by hashtag and trial by Twitter. I don't go for any of that. I don't go any of for any of that. Uh, it's just not right. But anyways, that's a sidestep, I'm sure, Isaac and Rob, and I'm sure other people want to hear. I'm sure you can read be, between the lines. But I, 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 also, you, you can't predict where I come down on. I'm telling you. If you get to know me on an individual basis, you cannot predict where I truly come down on uh, things. It's A lot of it is a case-by-case, issue-by-issue base. I am... Um, very supportive of of everyone and everyone's beliefs and everyone's goals and everyone's wishes. Um, I tr- like to treat humans as humans with that kind of uh, inherent respect, no matter uh, what you are, what you believe, what you will do. I believe that if you're you're on the firing line, uh, uh, you know, say in the military, if you're on the firing line, you're not defending the rights of, of yourself. You're you're defending the rights of the person next to you. And they're defending yours. And those might not always be the same. That's what I look at it. All right, moving on to entertainment. That's entertainment. All right, Adam Jennings checks in. He says, he's, uh, he says so I'm a massive Oasis and Noel Gallagher fan, as I know you are. A couple of questions. What's your favorite Oasis song? Oh, my gosh, Adam, I can't choose just one. And that's hard for me to even choose, like, five. So I'll say this. Live Forever. Don't care if it's their biggest hit next to Wonderwall or alongside Wonderwall. Live Forever is an amazing song. It's one of the best rock songs ever written, ever recorded, ever released. I love Live Forever. Half the World Away, which is a B-side. Noel Gallagher wrote a couple songs when he left the band and headed out to San Francisco on his own. Um, And Talk Tonight is one of those songs, and that's another one of my favorites. The Master Plan, big B-side for them. Keep the Dream Alive, which uh, actually came from a, a later album, Don't Believe the Truth, written actually by Andy Bell, a later member of the band. Keep the Dream Alive is absolutely one of my favorite songs um, by the band. And also on my list is uh, uh, is uh, uh, Acquiesce, another B-side, Cast No Shadow, Slide Away, and I Hope I Think I Know. Some of the songs that I love from Oasis. And then Adam Massey, have you ever listened to Noel's solo albums? Yes, Noel Gallagher and the High Flying Birds. Great stuff. 
Liam uh, with BDI did not find post-Oasis success as much as Noel, but Noel's albums are great. If you're an Oasis fan who's never heard Noel Gallagher's solo stuff, definitely start with the first album, Noel Gallagher and the High Flying Birds. And he, uh, Adam asked, did you enjoy the Supersonic documentary about Oasis? Yes, I did. I actually had Gin and Tonic. Two gin and tonics at the Arcalite Theater Hollywood. Brought them into the theater because you can do that here at Arcalite. And watch the documentary. It is great. And Adam closes out the music questions. It says, finally, is there a chance of getting another music episode with Jay Arrett? Uh, Jay, a friend of mine uh, from uh, I've known for, gosh, almost uh, 17 years. Big music fan. Uh, he and I get along. That's how we kind of bonded. It was uh, love of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, fantasy baseball, and music. Uh, yes, we are uh, going to eventually do. Uh, life uh, takes you in different ways. Jay's uh, married, lives out of town. Um, I am not married, live where I live, uh, but we're going to get together and we're going to do a top 10 artist uh, episode like we uh, did a long time ago. We did, t- or we said we were going to do a long time ago. We did top 10 songs, top 10 albums. So Adam, yes, we will do that. Jason Humphreys asked me, what are your favorite British comedians? I find that one tough to answer, Jason. Uh, I enjoy Ricky Gervais as, a, as an actor and a writer, um, and I enjoy his comedy, but I don't get into it uh, as much. Uh, Monty Python, does that count as comedians? Because those are uh, those those shows and movies, and the boys of Monty Python, uh, my, Monty Python and the girls, Carol Cleveland included, um, are great influences on me, and as is Peter Sellers. I do like good British comedies. I do, uh, other than Benny Hill, not the biggest Benny Hill fan, but I've never had individual uh, comedians to list. Uh, so, Jason, I'm going to ask you, and you let me know on Patreon, who are yours, and who should I take a listen to? Andy Ortiz has a question about my review of Doctor Strange, uh, which was positive, and he says, uh, I vaguely remember on Collider Movie Talk, you mentioned Salvific. Salvic? Suffering. Andy, you're using a word I didn't use because I can't say it. And I'm not going to edit that out and find out how to say it. But basically, it's about the uh, spiritual side in Doctor Strange. And uh, in short, yeah, this resonated. I'm not a huge superhero fan. Uh, Superhero movies, comics, I don't read a lot of those. So, um, you know, Doctor Strange had a three-act... A uh, big baddie at the end type of formula, but what I liked was the spiritual undertones of the movie. Um, I, I can see the comparisons from Doctor Strange to the first Iron Man. It is the same kind of journey of the same kind of man in a way, but there was a spiritual side, a lot of stuff with the Ancient One and what was going on there in that conversation that she had with, uh, the Ancient One had with Doctor Strange, um, got into a lot of spiritual stuff that it just, it just connected with me. I like that kind of side of life. Uh, I wish I could expand more, Andy, but, uh, don't remember much about Doctor Strange because I've only seen it once, other than I did like it. Andre is back again. Says, besides Star Wars comics, what are some others that you have enjoyed reading and recently are on your pull list? Uh, those include, but not limited to, Saga, Sex Criminals, Hawkeye, the Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye, perhaps the only superhero comic I enjoy because it is the least superhero comic I've ever read. Velvet, which is a great story set in the 70s of uh, uh, Velvet Templeton, a former agent turned agent again, kind of a Lack of a better term, female James Bond, but it is uh, it goes beyond that for uh, for me. I also enjoy the the current run of the Bond comic that's going out. Um, I like that. Lazarus is a great one. Uh, Fade Out, um, the uh, Manifest Destiny, Paper Girls, and then of course all the Star Wars ones. Um, uh, there's a, there's a lot on my pull list. Uh, a lot of uh, GI Joe, Mask, 
<laughs> a lot of things like that. Um, I think there's some new Robotech finally coming out, but, but Star Wars dominates, but I, I do enjoy a lot of that. I enjoy, um, I enjoy a lot of, uh, I don't say, I guess true crime or, or historical stuff. There's a lot of things like that, a lot of comics like that that I enjoy. Uh, I just never have gravitated to the superhero stuff. Tara Steiner asked me, excluding Star Wars, what are your Desert Island movies top five as of right now? That is tough, Tara. That is tough. So I'm going to give you five with some honorable mentions. Rushmore by Wes Anderson. Love that one. Speaks to me greatly. High Fidelity. At uh, one point, you could say, and probably still could say, that's the story of my life. Shop Girl, I believe that is the story of where my life is going. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I'm going to sneak that in there. A lot of times I cheat and say Indiana Solo and the Fellowship of the Ewoks, but i got to sneak Raiders of the Lost Ark in. If I was on a desert island, I would need to watch that movie again, and I couldn't bear not knowing that I, I wouldn't. Uh, Last of the Mohicans, I don't watch it as much. It's a weird desert island movie, but i got to include an epic in there. I'm going to do that. So those are the five. But I'm also going to sneak in on honorable mentions. Magnolia, Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, movie. I know Boogie Nights is his masterpiece or his early masterpiece. There will be Blood and uh, others, uh, other, other people like that part of uh, Paul, Thomas's, Paul Thomas Anderson's career. Uh, Magnolia, for me, is my favorite of his movies. I, I get not necessarily the best, but it's my favorite. Uh, about a boy, uh, Nick Hornby stuff, man. Uh, it, 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 touch, it, it touches some part of my soul and connects with me. In both good and bad ways. It's good, good, good sign, bad sign. And Collateral. Tom Cruise at his finest, I believe. Jamie Foxx, Michael Mann. It is a great movie. I love Collateral. It, uh, it shakes me. Stirs my soul a little bit. And uh, definitely enjoy that. Final category uh, question here in the entertainment category. Even Star has a wrestling question. Surprisingly, not a ton of wrestling questions. People know I love wrestling. Uh, Even Star asked opinion on the rated R superstar Edge. I've I've met Edge briefly. He's a really nice guy. Um, and I, uh, I I never fully appreciated his career. Uh, I, I, I'd left watching wrestling during the Attitude Era, so I missed... I, I saw when he came in. Uh, I knew actually when Adam Copeland got signed, I, I knew he was coming in. Uh, Toronto-based independent wrestler, or Cana- Canadian, uh, Canadian, uh, Canadian, Canada-based independent wrestler. Um, but I, when he came in as a part of the Brood and the Vampires and with Christian Gangrel, I, I wasn't in- interested in, uh, in in wrestling during that time. I walked away for a little bit. Um, when I came back, so I always appreciated him, but I don't think I appreciated him as much until he left. And now. You see stuff, and I, I, I love how his, he had the ability to adapt, and he could be uh, a lot of different things at a lot of different times in his career, and I think that's one of the keys to a pro wrestler. And again, I met him briefly in Las Vegas at the Cauliflower Alley Club, and he is a uh, great guy, very nice guy. Uh, and uh, so that is that. Star Wars questions, that's right. We're getting some Star Wars questions. I'll try to answer these as, as quickly as possible so not bore anyone who's listening to this who... Uh, who um, it isn't as big a Star Wars fan on the Knapsack Files feed. Earl Ulrich is back, and he says uh, he, uh, he talks about Battlefront. I'm one of the last people on Earth still playing Star Wars Battlefront. He says, well, so am I. So I wonder, what blaster you use most? What is your favorite map? What DLC have you found yourself playing the most? Why do we still torture ourselves playing this game? Favorite blaster, the one I use the most, is the EE-3, a.k.a. Boba Fett's gun. I just like it. I like the three bursts. I like the distance. I like the cooldown. I like I like the range uh, and, and the firing uh, uh, how, how, how many shots I can get out there. And he said, what is your favorite map? 
Favorite map is, um, gosh, I got to think it is Jakku. I play that one the most. Turning Point, great. Uh, DLC that I found uh, playing the most, Outer Rim, Jabba's Palace. I love that one. I have a lot of fun with that. And why do we still torture ourselves playing this game? You know what, Eric? Because it's fun and we're okay with that. Andrew Romanella is back. Uh, he asked me, uh, he asked a great question about Phantom Menace. Anakin, young Anakin Skywalker, mentions that all the slaves have chips that will blow up if they leave. Boom! Boom! If they leave, I think he says something like that. Uh, he says, number one question, number one, you buying this or is it just a slaver's tactic to keep slaves from running? And do you think Anakin had his deactivated, uh, his chip deactivated removed? Um, or is he living in constant fear? Thus helping us descend on the dark side. That's a great question. I might have to ask that to my Force Center broadcast partners, uh, Joseph Grimshaw and Jennifer Lena. I think the chip was real. I think there's a deleted scene where Qui-Gon is forcing Watto to shut down the chip, Andrew. But pay attention to Force Center. I might answer that question in a little bit more detail. Um, and uh, he also asks, hey, how are Alicia Malone and Maude Garrett doing? I miss seeing them on movie shows. That is all. You're the best. Andrew, they're doing well. I don't see them as much these days, but I recently have had the chance to see both Maude and Alicia uh, for Maude Garrett's birthday. They're doing well. I'll tell them you said hello. Andy Ortiz back again says, were you disappointed Qui-Gon Jinn did not appear as a Force ghost in Episode 3 to Obi-Wan? You know what, Andy? Yes. More Qui-Gon. Glad he appeared in some of the other uh, Clone Wars episodes. I'm okay. If Qui-Gon shows up in Episode 8 or 9 as a Force ghost, I'm all good. All right, that's the Star Wars questions. We got through it for you non-Star Wars fans. I try to keep it quick and uh, to the point. I'll answer more of that stuff on Force Center if need be. And if you, again, uh, haven't listened to the Force Center podcast feed, go over and check it out at Force Center Pod on Twitter. All right, questions now related to my career. Or maybe your career. Maybe you want advice for your career. I get these from time to time. This is a this is an interesting grab bag of different career-related questions. Start with something fun. Ulrich checks back in again and says, Will we ever see Tex Tunney in the Schmodown? Now, for those of you who don't know, I was involved in professional wrestling off and on uh, for uh, since uh, 2001. Long, long, dark time, downtime in, in between. But in 2010, came back uh, with a vengeance and was the... A manager known as Tex Tunney, Millennium Pro Wrestling, based out of Simi Valley, California, and now based out of Moore Park. I don't um, do it as much anymore. I'm not really involved as much any, anymore. But for a long time, good four or five year period, Tex Tunney was one of the best managers here on the independent scene in SoCal. If I do say so myself, got to participate in a match, um, got to uh, get beat up, all that fun stuff. So will Tex Tunney ever appear in the Schmodown? In a way, Tex Tunney already has, because how I cut a promo is... Uh, how Tex cuts a promo. So, I don't know. The problem is Tex Tunney was uh, uh, the, the so-called last scion of the great Southern promoters. And it would, uh, you know, he, he had a black cowboy hat and kind of a cowboy belt. And, well, if you watch the Schmodown over on Collider Video, the movie trivia Schmodown, John Roca, the outlaw, already kind of has that role. Uh, I don't know. So, maybe... Uh, Maybe if Tex shows up, he's in the outlaw's corner. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But for right now, I'm just having fun competing in the Schmodown as myself, along with Rachel Cushing in the Nerds Watch team. And again, if you're not familiar with the Schmodown, we have some fun over there. It's, it's growing bigger over there, Collider. Check it out. Schmodown releases, uh, we release matches every Tuesday and Friday. Some fun, combative movie trivia. 
Ishmael asks, hey, uh, says, I should say, first, I sometimes listen to Daily Thrones on Anchor, but it's hard to keep up with it because I don't use Anchor, so you're considering making a YouTube channel for talking GOT. There's a lot of popular GOT YouTube channels, but they're kind of boring and they don't post daily videos like you do in Daily Thrones. Now, first, this is something relatively new to my portfolio here. There's a new app out there called Anchor. You can download it now, and you can get a bunch of programming. There's some people I know on there, Star Wars Explained, um, Alex over there's got a channel. Roxy Stryer's got a channel. Ben Bateman's got a channel. Johnny LaQuasto's got a channel. Those are people in my world. Some of you might know those names if you follow my career. Uh, I think Joseph Scrimshaw's also working on a channel as well. I have a channel called Daily Thrones. I should say it's a station called Daily Thrones, and I talk Game of Thrones daily, about uh, two, three times a day. Little content in bite-sized morsels for you to chew on, and uh, Ishmael, I appreciate you listening when you can. Uh, You guys can download the app, find me on there, and uh, join the conversation, as I like to say. Now, will I consider uh, making a YouTube channel for Talking GOT? Not really. Uh, as far as YouTube and video, a lot of you ask uh, as well, like, hey, Kenny, are you going to put the Knapsack Files on YouTube? I might. I, I might put Life Ranked on YouTube just as an audio video, an audio-only video. Um, I just don't have time for video. I, I don't, I'm not great at editing. All that kind of uh, stuff that goes into it. It takes a lot to run a YouTube channel. Uh, would I love to talk about GOT more and more? Sure. Uh, I will not be on Watch and Thrones this coming season on Screen Junkies, of course. Uh, trying to get involved with the Collider Show, and I'm sure that will happen. We're working on that. Um, and yeah, you know, there's a lot of popular GOT YouTube channels out there, and I, I recommend the podcast History of Westeros, which is also on YouTube as well, I believe. Um, there is uh, the the um, Alt-Shift-X is uh, a great YouTube channel, and uh, there is uh, another YouTube channel that I've been listening to lately that I think is actually pretty good, and it's got a, a lot of... Uh, um, real world, it ties a lot of things uh, in GOT to the real world, and that is GOT Academy. Two guys, I believe they're out of Israel, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves, and they are, they're kind of quirky, maybe an acquired taste, but they're fun too. So uh, there's some stuff out there, Ishmael, but I understand what you're saying. If you're not, that's not what you want. You want things a little uh, slow, or smaller or bite-sized or just to the point or daily. Uh, I am not going to be providing that now, um, got a lot of concentration on Star Wars right now in the Napsack Files. Um, we'll see what happens. Season 7, Season 8. And that's the other thing, too. Unless uh, unless HBO launches a prequel series which, uh, or a spinoff series, and I, I believe they will, the time to talk about Game of Thrones in podcast form, I think, is kind of finite. Will it go on? Yeah. Could you talk about the book still and have podcasts uh, been talking about the books for a long time? My friend Kyle Maddox has been doing that for a long time with uh, Game of Thrones stuff. So, yeah, yeah, you could. But I, I for me, I see after Season 8, unless a prequel series comes in, it, it won't be as big as demand uh, as there is now for talking Game of Thrones. I'm going to write it out as long as I can, Ishmael. Uh, you never know what else I can pop up on talking about Game of Thrones, and I appreciate you su- supporting me and following me as best you can. Uh, that's something I love there. I have great passion for Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. Andy Ortiz's question here is, Ken, with your main interviews here on the Knapsack Files podcast feed, you have a set of uh, set number of questions prepared. How much do you improvise? Uh, and then he asks follow-up, what gets you past writer's block? I'll deal with that one in a second. Uh, Andy, uh, as some of you could probably tell, I like to ramble. I like to ramble too much. I don't suggest any of you do that on your own. But when I go into the interviews, I very rarely have anything planned. 
I sometimes might have a theme. Maybe it's J.R. and I doing music. That's fine. When I brought my therapist on, Dr. Gary Ventimiglia, uh, clearly that was going to be a show dedicated to depression and issues related to that. So, yeah, there's some themes uh, on the Knapsack Files that I might want to get to, but I, I generally just want to talk with the person. Now, that doesn't always work out. Uh, there's some interviews. I won't go into who, what, when, where, and why on the channel, but there's some that aren't my favorites versus some of the other ones I've done because I just felt uh, some of the people, um, all of them usually on this channel are, are good friends of mine, but I think being interviewed is a skill in this business as well. Being a guest on a talk show is a skill. Uh, I always talked about this with Josh McCuga. If you go watch the Josh McCuga show or Between the Sheets when it was known before, you can tell who is good at being a guest and who is not good at being a guest. And, so, and that's at no fault uh, at some of those people's own. Uh, and that happens here in the Knapsack Files. So sometimes, yeah, do I have stuff prepared? No. I just want to go on a journey with this person. I want to know where they came from. I always, you probably see a theme. I want to find their big decisions in life and get into those moments because I think that is interesting. And I think that can end up helping a lot of other people as well. So that's something I... My plan, not plan, but just kind of have in the back of my head. Other than that, we turn on the microphone. I tell all my guests before, if they're new guests, that, hey, we do this live to tape. If you want to have something cut out later or there's something that comes up in an interview and you're like, oop, I, I didn't want to say that, just raise your hand. We'll stop. We'll cut it out. I can tell you that's only happened twice. Uh, I won't give the names, but um, one person said something about, a place that they used to work, kind of disparaging uh, remarks about it, and then called me the next day and said, hey, could you do me a favor take that out? I might want to work there again. I did. And another one was the person, some stuff came up about a past relationship, and they were uncomfortable with it. They thought they were going to be more comfortable with it than they were, and we stopped right there and took it out. Other than that, in all my now, I think, four years of doing the Knapsack Files, that is that is the end, uh, or that is the end of the list of people who have taken uh, out stuff for the interviews or stopped me or anything like that. Uh, other than that, we just go live to tape. What you hear on the podcast is what was recorded 99.9% of the time. Andy's follow-up question about what gets you past writer's block? I don't know. It's a serious answer. I don't know. Uh, I have had long periods of writer's block. I've had issues with confidence in my writing. I think most writers do, but uh, the difference between lo completely losing your confidence and writer's block is what, what I'm struggling with now. I, over the last few years, I stopped writing completely. Um, my writing partnership with Matt Key dissolved a bit. Friendly. We're still close. We're actually doing some writing again soon, but it was just like... Kind of like I had to tell him, you need to go find someone else that can write with you. I, I've lost the ability to write. I've lost the confidence to write. That was a little big, bigger and deeper and darker than just writer's block. As far as writer's block, I, I, on a day-to-day -day level, you need to maybe write every day. I believe in that. I used to do a page a day when I was really doing a lot of screenwriting. And, and allot yourself time and force it. Just force it and not be afraid to barf it up onto the page, onto the keyboards. All right? Sometimes... Literally. Um, just sit down, Andy, and lot yourself. I say go small. Some people say, oh, put t put, give yourself two hours to write a day or an hour to write a day. I say screw it. Give yourself 30 minutes, a half hour. Make it small. Make it something that seems manageable, you're not intimidated about, or you're not afraid to sit down and, oh, i got to write for an hour. 30 minutes. And then next thing you know, that turns to 45, turns to an hour, then you might write the whole night. If you write a page, you write a scene, write a write a paragraph or two if you're writing a book i just say get it out there don't be afraid to barf it up and change it all later editing and rewriting is the key to writing i think 
and uh, also structure before. I think structuring your story, especially with scripts, is the key. Preparation and uh, a lot of things go into before we actually sit down and and write a script. Um, I think knowing where you're going to write and how you're going to write it is key as well. But when it comes to writer's block, I just think you literally have to force yourself to get through it. Losing your confidence as a writer, completely different. I'm still kind of struggling with that. Good friend Aaron Parisian checks in. Aaron is up there in Canada. She is a great writer, self-writes novels, and uh, does a lot of writing for schmoesno.com. Great movie fan and a sweetheart of a person. And she says, what advice would you give to someone who is looking to start a podcast or YouTube channel, both technical and other? And then she is, uh, that's all I can think of right now with a smiley face. Aaron, that's a great question. I get this a lot. And what advice would you give to someone looking to start a podcast or YouTube channel? Well, first of all, just do it. It's like when people would ask me, hey, should I try stand-up comedy? Yes, you should. Do it. Do it once. You might fail at it. You probably will fail at it. You probably will not be that good at it. But if you still come out of those first two attempts, first few attempts, I should say, and you still like it, then you know you're on on the right path and you're going to now start working for it. Start a podcast. I get this a lot. You know, the joke of, hey, everyone has a podcast. Yeah, you know what? But do it. Tell your story. Bring your personality to it, and you will rise above anything else. If there's 10,000 podcasts out there in your uh, category, work hard to be one of the top 100, but just do it. Now, YouTube channel, uh, I, I don't. I have a YouTube channel, but it's not a channel. It just has some videos on there. Again, it's not my thing. Video's not my thing. The patience of editing and uploading, it takes a long time, man, to get that stuff up. When uh, Whether I'm at Collider or when I was at Screen Junkies, uh, we do some programming, some live stuff, uh, you know, maybe, for example, watching Thrones on Screen Junkies Plus, and then uh, just to upload it to Screen Junkies Plus, if you miss the live show at 1 o'clock p.m. Uh, PST and you want to watch it on on tape, on demand, we get a lot of tweets like, hey, where's the episode up? That's That video would sometimes take two to three hours to process. you got to get it up. And, and that's just, I don't have that patience when it comes to YouTube. So I don't have... Uh, exact advice, but I will say this from you working for some of the bigger YouTube channels, Screen Junkies with 6 million subscribers, Collider Video growing as we speak. Uh, the advice for that and a podcast is, if you're starting small on your own, is good gear. Don't skimp on it. If you go back and listen to like the first four or five, or I think it's about eight or nine of the first episodes of the Knapsack Files, they're great interviews. They're fun. I'm finding my way through it, but they sound horrible. One of the reasons they sound horrible is I started cheap. I went on the cheap of the microphones, and look, that that's okay if that's all you can afford. I, no criticism there because I couldn't afford much more. I went into a little debt that I, I debt is haunts me wherever I go. But I went into a little debt to get. Uh, eventually, I just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, people were very supportive, but I was getting some comments. Hey, this sounds like it's underwater. It sounds muddy. And it just was nothing I could do. I, I had $20 mics and a $40 uh, eBay uh, soundboard. Um, I just I needed to do it right. And it's possible. It's, it's pretty cheap now. It's even cheaper than when I started to get a soundboard, to get a Zoom, to get some good microphones. Uh, you know, uh, get the good gear. Same with the camera if you're doing YouTube. Unfortunately, the days of YouTube being the thing you can sit down in front of now, now look, some people might be able to sit down in front of a web, webcam and spit something up and get a million uh, views, but to, to have a channel, make it consistent, make it good, good gear is important, doing it right from the beginning. Then I think it becomes, uh, once you get it going, regular schedule, striving for professionalism. 
being, uh, if you're a podcaster, learn to be a broadcaster and a podcaster, not just someone who, who spits up stuff into the microphone. Um, be wary of, are you just, uh, are, do you, are you and your friends, do you think you're cute, but the rest of the world doesn't? Strive for entertainment. This is still an entertainment business. Sitting in front of a webcam is still entertainment. I know YouTube, again, is a wide-open uh, world, and, and people have succeeded doing a lot of different things. And, and that's the thing, too. Maybe don't put yourself into a box and don't listen to everything I'm saying. But I'm just saying, strive for professionalism. Strive to be entertaining. One, is the, one of the pet peeves I can tell you, and this pertains particularly to YouTubers, quote YouTubers, Having worked with a lot of big ones over at Defy Media, some do rise above. Some started out in other areas. You know, the Schmoes were stand-up comics. Mark Ellis is still a comic. I started in comedy and sketch comedy, and then the digital media age began. I started in radio. Podcasting began. So I have maybe a different skill set bringing it in. Um, some people, they start young. This is their first job. 21, 22, they get hired by, you know, a place like SourceFed, which is now defunct. And this is their first job. And I've seen it so many times. The art of talking into a webcam or a single cam and putting it up on YouTube is, it's an art and it's a skill. And some people are spectacular at it. But that doesn't necessarily translate to when they're on set. Asked to act, asked to host, asked to host uh, uh, game show segments or review segments or news segments. I've seen it far too many times of people coming in or, again, being a guest. So many YouTubers are brought on these digital media-based uh talk shows like Josh McCougar's show to be interviewed and, and, and be guests as if they were on The Tonight Show and they don't know how to do it because they're not natural entertainers. They're just someone who set up a camera, hit big, and they're good at that. And believe me, it's not something I think I could do. I watch someone like Jeremy Johns weekly now and I, I've seen Jeremy shoot his little green screen promos for Awesome Tacular on Verizon Go 90, the show we do at Collider Video, and it is something that I could not do well. All the props to Jeremy and those guys that do it, um, Stuckman and Flickinger and all the, the, the gang. I, I, that is a skill, but uh, don't think that's the only thing. Don't think that stops there, all right, you, if you want to go beyond YouTube. It's a little soapbox thing probably for me, uh, seen it too much. Uh, other thing, regular schedule. Uh, I try to keep one here in Amsec Files. You, you, you're now going to hopefully get a, an interview on Wednesday and a life ranked on Friday. Then maybe I'll add something else. Force Center, you get a main show on Tuesday. You get a Data Brink Ball on Thursday. You get Spotlight Star Wars or Star Wars ranked on Saturday and the special uh, Jennifer Landa episodes or Star Wars Counseling or, or Force Center Reacts later on. That schedule is important because I think when you start finding an audience, they want the, your programming to, to keep showing up and showing up at, at a time they know it's going to be there. Uh, a lot of people, yeah, it's on demand, but I still think most of my downloads, I mean, it happens on the days they're released. I'll get some carryover, but it's like, oh, that's the day I know I'm going to have that show. I'm going to download the Napsuck files. I can listen to it Wednesday, Thursday, maybe Friday, the latest, but they need to know. And I think you have that reg regular schedule. I've seen too many podcasts die and too many YouTube channels die by just, hey, we release something. Let's wait for the views. Let's wait for the downloads. Three weeks later, we'll release another thing. And then two days later, and then a month later, you're done by that point. You're done. And the final thing to Aaron's question, patience. Patience, young Padawan. My podcast now is growing. It's grown, grown with my profile rising on other channels for sure. But it started small. 40 downloads a day. 70 downloads a day. Then I hit 100. There was a time when the highest download episode I had one day was the episode with Mark Ellis at 220. And then I, I started hitting the thousands. 
Force Center, same thing. We Star Wars, you get a little bit of a bump early on, but we were, hey, on a good day, I text Joseph, oh, man, we got 800 downloads yesterday. That was great. Now there's days where we're, we're pulling in thousands. And it did not happen overnight. It happened because of the things I'm telling you about. Good gear, good presentation, professionalism, regular schedule. And then the patience starts to pay off. So I hope, I hope that answers your question, Aaron, and to anyone out there who needed that. All right, now we're going to the multiple questions. These are four people, four Patreon supporters who had a lot of questions for me, and I'm going to try to get through them. But I think it's great that you guys took the time. Some of the names have already shown up, but then they posted in one comment. Um, they posted in one comment a bunch of things. So some of these topics might uh, also have appeared earlier, too, as well. I'm just going to try to I'm look, I'm gonna read these questions and answer with my gut to close out the show here. God bless any of you who've, who've listened and supported me. This is uh, my gift to uh, the Patreon supporters and to anyone else out there to get inside my brain, which is a scary, scary place. Even Star asks, he says, Ken, you asked and I shall deliver questions. Did you ever play Mass Effect? Even Star, I played the first one. I loved it tremendously. I just did not play it at my own house. I was house-sitting for a friend of mine. I had a, about a six-day house-sitting job uh, watching this guy's house with his dogs, a good friend of mine, and I played Mass Effect on his computer and I, 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 on his uh, Xbox, I think. Finished it up in that one week. So I didn't have it at home. So when the other Mass Effects came out, I didn't play them. I didn't get them. It just was out of my system. But I love the game. Maybe I should start... And, and, and start again and, and kind of play through it again because it was a lot of fun. He asked a Star Wars question when Starkiller Base was revealed in The Force Awakens. He says, in the cinema, which means he's not from America, uh, he says, my head in my head I literally said to myself, guys are really doing this for the third time. What was my reaction? Starkiller Base was perhaps the thing I, other than the Rathars, the thing I liked least about The Force Awakens. It was to me a third Death Star. They'd even had X-Wings attacking it with a trench run and you had TIE Fighters and it just looked and felt too much like A New Hope and Return of the Jedi. I still liked it, though, and I still liked the sequence. About the fourth viewing, I laughed to myself that actually the thing I criticized a lot in the first and second and third viewings was the thing I enjoyed the most in the fourth viewing. I've since seen Force Awakens about 17, 19 times, something like that. Um, but the attack on Starkiller Base is is one of my favorite sequences. There's some great shots in there. I love Poe. I love I love Jess Pava and Snap Wexley, all those kind of guys. So I'm okay with it. But, yeah. Even Star, I cannot lie, in the theater, I was very disappointed. And even after, and even now, I wish maybe they'd gone another direction. However, if you've read uh, Aftermath, Empires, and the Star Wars, uh, uh, end of the Star Wars trilogy that was written by Chuck Wendig that just finished up this past um, uh, couple months, it's a sometimes maligned trilogy. It's not as good as some of the other new Star Wars canon books in a lot of people's mind, but Empires end and strong, and it touches on the, the beginnings, the early stages of the First Order. And when you start following that train of thought that's put forth in that book, you can understand in story why the First Order would try again with a Death Star, but a bigger, better version. It does make some sense. Even Star then asks, at the hairdresser, at the hair salon, how awkward it is it to stare into the mirror and watch the other person? What is a socially acceptable thing to do in this case? General life advice, I'm here to help. I, get, uh, I love getting my hair cut. I start getting a little ASMR'd, and I start falling asleep. It's relaxing. Uh, I, I, I'll talk to them if they want, but I'm also great at just being silent, and I don't mind. I'll just stare off into the void. They've seen it before. Maybe they don't want to talk. Maybe they're done talking. They've been talking to strangers all day, cutting their hair. Maybe they just want to zone out. As long as you're doing a good job, I'm okay. What is a socially acceptable thing to do in this case? I think just be rude. If the hair's, if you're staring off into the mirror watching them cut your hair and they start talking to you, answer. 
You know, and if you're not uh, into talking, just politely bow out. I think that's the best thing. All right, even so, I asked, what uh, is my relationship to Lord of the Rings? If you read the books, including the uh, Silmarillion, uh, is that how you say it? Silmarillion? The, the other one. You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, here is the thing, even so, I love the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy. The Hobbit, different story. Not all bad, but for the most part, bad uh, to me. Uh, but what the, the, the movies, the Peter Jackson uh, original trilogy, so to speak, Love it. Three of my favorite movies. I will about once a year put all three extended Blu-ray editions, all like four and a half hours of, uh, of the movies. I'll put them in. I'll watch them all one day. Barely get up off the couch. I love doing that about once a year, year and a half. Absolutely love those movies. But interestingly enough, never have read the books. All due respect to Tolkien fans. Never read them. Uh, I read the uh, Chronicles of Narnia series as a kid, and it's not like you have to choose between one or the other, but that was kind of what I read. And then my, my parents, I think my mom had read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and one of my friends, Eric Essen, I remember him, we grew up, he read The Hobbit, and I was, I was like, it seemed like something that I'd like, because I like Narnia. Seemed kind of similar. Uh, but as you know, it's it's not really similar, because it's a lot bigger, a lot deeper and a lot harder to digest. And I did love to read. Still love to read. Read a lot. Never read them. Just never did. Then Fellowship of the Rings came out. And I didn't see it in theaters. Didn't see the first one in theaters. Was like, eh, whatever. I got Star Wars. I'm good. We'll see you around. But I was, uh, as part of, a uh, in 2002 when Two Towers came out, a bunch of friends of mine, we just finished up at the Ground Lanes. Um, and as a kind of a team, so to speak, uh, we went to celebrate our 12, 12-week adventure, the final level of the Ground Lanes, uh, to see Two Towers. And I was like, all right, whatever. I'll go see it. And just was blown away by it. Immediately had to go watch Fellowship of the Rings. Kicked myself for missing it in the theater. And I've been a fan ever since. And then uh, I thought, okay, much like uh, when I got into Game of Thrones, I'll think I'll read the books now. I never did. And had a lot of lot of fans like say, saying, again, this is not this is not to slight the books. They're classics. But it's like, I, they said, hey, if you like the movies, you might not need to read the books. You might be okay. Lots change, and I I know some of the big changes. Uh, Tom Bombadil, although the the elves don't show up in Two Towers, all that stuff. And I know there's a lot there. I, I get it. I understand. I think it's hard to. Those are much like A Song of Ice and Fire. Those are hard books to adapt into to any kind of screen format. Um, so I kind of I think I'll read them one day. I think I'll read them one day. But I think for now, I'm just gonna enjoy the movies. Even Star says, hey, I'm a 26-year-old from Europe, uh-huh, listening to a 40-year-old guy from California, interviewing his friends and talking about life in a podcast. Did we reach the essence of Internet, or are these just crazy times? I don't think we've reached the essence of Internet quite yet. There's gonna, eventually, Even Star, you're going to be like watching me in real time on a hologram, and that's the essence of the Internet. And these are crazy times. Again, I, the career I have now didn't exist three, four years ago. Digital media certainly did, yeah, but a job of, hey, producing these uh, video shows and video podcasts and all these things on, on based on YouTube or on on-demand services, come in and talk about Star Wars as a job, that didn't exist. All that kind of stuff did not exist. It is crazy, and I hope we all can do something good with this power. Final question from Evenstar. Have you ever considered shaving your head and growing a mega beard for counterbalance? You know... I get asked about the shaving the head thing a lot because I'm uh, definitely beyond losing my hair. I've lost it. But I'm holding on. 
I have an ugly head. I'm going to wait till I can get some money and put some hair plugs in. Kidding, not kidding. I have grown several mega beards in my life. Uh, I like them every now and then, but society doesn't seem to like them. Oh, they're popular now. Oh, I see these uh, these guys walking around with their big manly beards, and everyone likes them now, and it's the style of the time. I had that in the, the late 90s, and people literally, in one particular occasion I remember, crossed the street because I was walking up with some long hair and a big, giant, mega beard. So, I don't know. I don't think I'll do it again. I keep uh, I keep a beard every now and then. I like to change it up now and then. But uh, uh, if I'm really depressed, my beard grows out a little bit longer and thicker than it is normally. Uh, that's a sign that I'm depressed. If you see those pictures online, you're like, oh, Ken's beard is thicker this week. Uh, things aren't good in my head. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever have a mega beard. Maybe when I'm, like, 70. We'll do that. Hope I answered your questions there. Even star. Good stuff. 26-year-old over in Europe, listening to this broken old 40-year-old man in California. I love it. All right, now i got a series of questions, uh, a series of questions, I can talk, from uh, an anonymous supporter who uh, chooses to not have their name mentioned if I use the questions, and I'm going to use all the questions. All right, this person asks, is there anything in your life that you're uh, inordinately proud of that you don't often mention? I can't think of a lot of those things. Number one, I talk too much. I talk into microphones. I say just about everything in my life. So it seems like if I had something secret, I wouldn't mention it. Uh, But I will say, you know, I I am proud of kind of who I am to other people in the sense if you go to one of my birthday parties, I've said this before, there'll be different groups. There's people I've known from security and and police officers, and and there's people over here who are more, you know, left-leaning politics people. And I've got people from, you know, I've known for years that I maybe grew up with and I met in a church, and then I got people who are... Uh, very close to me who are diehard atheists. I've got uh, people who I've met from Hollywood. I've got people from other walks of life, from business schools and or business jobs, I should say. I've never been to business school. Um, I got a big circle of friends, and I am the common thread, and I am proud of that because it shows uh, shows that you know. I think uh, one of my things that I'm proud of is I just listen. I can be the center of a lot of different groups. And I think that ties into what I was saying earlier about the politics and religion stuff. Just, you know, get out of that bubble. And now that's become a different phrase. It's always meant a little something different to me. I don't mean it in an insulting fashion. It just, it's just like look outside yourself and surround yourself with different kind of people. And because of that, I, I, I feel I do a good job of that and I'm proud of that. Um, but like I said, I've mentioned it before. It's not so I do little things. I've helped a homeless person here and there uh, when I can. I've um, taken phone calls from employees at 2, 3 in the morning, and they've shared through, with tears uh, crazy things or, or important things in their life that they can't tell their parents yet or uh, tough situations needing my advice. And I'll take those phone calls every time. I've friends at 5 a.m. calling me, having nervous breakdowns, and they want me to come over. And I, I, I like doing that. I like being that for people. I'm proud of that. Uh, then another question uh, about my beard, the evolution of my beard. Did it start as a mustache and grow into something more? No. You know what? I, I, I've had different looks all through my life because I'm a fan of the Beatles. I studied the Beatles. I was very passionate about the Beatles in high school and college. And the Beatles had different looks from 60 to 62, 62 to 64, 66, 67, 68, 69. I can tell you the summer of 69, what John Lennon looked like. And uh, into even the 70s and beyond. The Beatles have always looked different. Every photo shoot, every album, they had a different look. And I, I tried that for a very long time. I'd grow my hair short, uh, grow my hair long, cut it short, grow a beard, grow, grow a Fu Manchu. I've never really just had a mustache. My father has had one for pretty much all my life. He's never changed it. I'm the opposite. A lot of times what you'll see now on Collider with my grain, almost all gray beard, I just kind of keep it because I, I think it looks... Uh, it looks all right, but I'll change that. Sometimes uh, suddenly I'll 
shave it all off. Sometimes they'll just have a goatee, which maybe isn't as fashionable as it used to be in the late 90s, uh, mid-2000 range, but I've had that too. I had a job where I couldn't grow my hair long or have facial hair for about 17 years, minus a couple patches in the in between where I could because of uh, different job situations, but for the most part, for 17 years, I had to look the same. That drove me crazy, drove me insane, so when I quit finally and joined Screen Junkies, that's why I grew my hair long into that much-talked-about ponytail and grew my beard out again because I finally could and uh it felt good it was like a promise to my 20 year old self of uh you know hey this is uh i'm gonna grow my hair long again when i find when i cut it at 20 i said ah don't worry i'll do it again i moved to la two years later got that job where i couldn't grow my hair was in it for 17 years oh that killed me so that's the evolution of my facial hair this person asks a, a, a longer question, I'll shorten it down, is can you be a casual Star Wars fan, a movie-only fan? There's so much material out there, it's growing and growing, and if you talk to fans like me, we just have so much information and we shove it down your throat sometimes, and it's canon, is it not canon, what story is this, what's this character, did you watch that movie, did you pick up on that plot you didn't know about? You know what, I think you can be a casual Star Wars fan. It is completely okay. I love talking to those people too, because sometimes it's a perspective that I don't have. I might watch an episode of Star Wars Rebels and get so worked up because of some stupid thing. I'm like, well, that plot point doesn't make sense because that because if you go to this movie and it's like someone else is like, oh, that was pretty cool. I liked it. I like that perspective. And I think if you're in that seat uh, of, of a casual Star Wars fan and you're in that kind of arena, just stay there. Don't, don't feel like you have to. If you want to, you want to learn more, yeah, pop over to my podcast. We'll guide you through the books, the shows, and everything else, the comic books. But if you're fine being a Star Wars fan that just shows up to Force Awakens and Rogue One and has fun and likes the lightsabers, can recognize some things, you don't need to know every name, every name of every blaster, every ship, you know what? I almost envy you, and I think you should do it. Stay that way. All right. Thank you, anonymous supporter. Megan Louise, she checks in from Australia. She says, I'm a bit of an overachiever. When I ask for questions, she's like, I'm an overachiever, but here's some questions. What character in Game of Thrones do you dislike in one medium, book or movie, uh, book or show, but like in the other? Oberyn Martell in the book did not stand out to me. In the show, he's one of my absolute favorites. He, he moved me emotionally, as he did a lot of people. Uh, not bad in the book, just I you know, didn't care for it as much. Um, it didn't stand out to me. Uh, in the book, I gotta say, I am more of a fan of Theon in the book than I am the show. I think because you could the journey of Reek you went through, you went through. It was different. It was way different in the books, and it took more of a toll on you as a reader, and you got more inside the head of Reek, Theon, and in the show, it, for you just you just there's no way you could do it without showing who Theon was, and uh, I think that's an example there. Come reporting in from the land down under, she is, Megan asks, have you ever, you having worked with both Maude Garrett and Alicia Malone, fellow Aussies, what is an Australian pronunciation saying you like or dislike? Ah, oh, man, I don't, I don't have any, anything that I dislike. Australia and the people of Australia have always been something I've been interested in. I used to joke in my early 20s I'm, uh, with friends. I'm like, I'm probably going to marry an Australian woman because I'm just kind of, uh, I, I, I kind of just love the music. I love, uh, I've never been there, but I just love a lot of things about Australia. And then finally getting to meet Maud and Alicia, like learning how, how bad I, even saying Maud's name, uh, you know, I'm supposed to say more like Maud, Maud. That's how, that's how I'm supposed to say it, but I'm an American with a dumb American mouth, and I say, mod, 
She always would uh, try to, I, I, I would try, I'm a little better. I can say Maud Garrett fast, but if, I, if, I'm, if I'm not careful, I'll, I'll say Maud, and, and she hates that. So I think, I think I'm the problem, but I love a lot of things about Australia. Hey, I'm a huge Natalie Brulia fan, too. I'll say it. I love it. I own all her albums. So uh, Megan had another. There's nothing I dislike. No saying. I love it. I find it all great. Uh, Megan says, what is the most awkward social situation you've ever been in? Oh, man, not counting relationships. I don't know. You know what? I'll start. When I was about 16 years old, I was trying to get my first job, and I was failing all my job interviews. I couldn't do it. And there was a situation. I walked into a job interview at a pizza place with uh, the manager, the owner, actually, was uh, the mother of one of my elementary school friends. So she kind of knew me. She brought me in. As I'm walking in, there's some, a, a family there, a husband, wife, and a kid. And I knew them from my old church. But I had stopped going to that church. My parents and I... Uh, left, went to another church, and I hadn't seen these people in a long time, but I remembered them. They looked the same to me, and as I'm walking with the, the owner of the restaurant to take a seat to, to the interview, and I look over, they're having dinner, and I'm looking over at them, and I wave, and I go, hey, how are you? Good to see you. And they just stare at me, not knowing who the hell I am. It dawned on me. They hadn't seen me since I was like 10. I was now 16. I looked relatively different. Puberty had hit. God bless me. And they just stared back at me and didn't say a word. And I just stared at them and went, yeah, hey, um, okay, hi, and walked on and, and couldn't get that out of my head. They're still staring at me. I'm beat red. I'm sitting there with the owner, beat red, sweating, embarrassed. And needless to say, I didn't get the job. That one still to this day haunts me. They can ask in the zombie apocalypse, what would be my weapon of choice? A sword. Is that Michonne? I don't watch Walking Dead. That's Michonne. I'm looking to an empty room here. Michonne, she's got the sword. I do this. Gun? I'd, I'd be, gun's great. I'd want the gun, but I'd have to worry about ammo. I'd want a sword. A little reach on it and get in there. Take things, uh, take a head off. Uh, and then she asks, what's the strangest thing you've seen during your time working private security or at a movie theater, which I did? Um, you know what? I'll have to answer. The, the, the security, no, the private security industry. At a certain level, and I was at a high level of it. We were at a, we were different. It is not like anything anyone thinks. It's not a Kevin James movie. And I'll get defensive if I understand. Every day of my job, every day of that 17-year career, people would make fun of me and my employees. And I get it. We're easy targets, right? And the movies and TV shows have trained you that if you're in the security industry, you're a dummy. And you know what? Then you see a, you see like a retired guy working a parking lot, and and you think, what good does that do? Or you see some you know eighteen year old kid walking around, and you think, what good does that do? I understand that. I understand that perspective. But I got to tell you, the industry as a whole. I, I would this would be a four hour podcast if I was to tell you the stories, uh, the fights I've been involved in, the the emergency situations, the the deaths, the heart attacks, the strokes, um, all the things that. You're asked to do in that industry, which is low paying and discarded by even the companies that need our services and pay for our services. That industry should be more. And people out there in society should treat it with a little more respect, I can assure you. The things I was asked to do, the things my employees were asked to do, way above our pay scale. Um, and it's easy to write it off as not being sworn law enforcement or not being fire and you're right but i also worked at a high level with a, a security department that had active police officers on working with us had off-duty police officers working with us had canine units i had a, I had a, 
a retired federal officer, and he was in his uh, mid-40s. He had got an injury. He was a retired federal officer from Texas. He was a canine um, uh, uh, handler, so we had a canine unit, a wonderful dog named Nasir, and then uh, later another dog named Gunner. You can go to my Instagram feed and see pictures of those dogs. It was serious stuff. It doesn't mean we occasionally wouldn't have to kick some kids off of skateboarders or help a little old lady to her car, but the things, the strangest things I've seen, it's, I couldn't even go into it, Megan, other than it's stuff that people just do not realize happens at a mall or a, a historical location. I worked at the farmer's market in L.A., which was on a, which was a, doc, a, a, a deemed a historical a landmark in Los Angeles. Just it, I couldn't even begin to tell you guys all. Couldn't even begin. Movie theater, um, eh? You know, you, you can tell what you find in movie theaters when you're trying to clean up. Ugh. Do I have any tattoos? If I were to get one, what would I get? No tattoos. No plans to get one. Boring answer. I apologize. What fictional language would you like to be fluent in? Uh, Dothraki, and maybe yeah. Nope, Dothraki. Favorite memory of attending San Diego Comic-Con. First night I was there, went to a party, and got to hang out with Rob Stark and Jon Snow, uh, Richard Madsen and Kit Arrington. Uh, You know, it wasn't like like, me and them. It was a party. I was introduced, shook hands, clinked some beers. It was a good time. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is easy, right? Now, that does not happen to anyone at every (laughs) Comic-Con. If you're going to show up this year uh, and attend as a fan, that's not going to happen to you, unfortunately. But also uh, feeling just the camaraderie with my friends, 3 a.m., drunk, wandering the streets of San Diego, looking for a 7-Eleven to buy some loaded Doritos. That, uh, that sticks with me, those moments, just being so close to the friends that you work with. I love San Diego Comic-Con. If you could turn any activity into an Olympic sport that I would have a good chance of winning a medal for, what would it be? Napping. Am I a regular Netflix watcher? And how long does it take to choose something to watch? 25 minutes to choose. I watch Netflix all the time. Very close to cutting the cord. If it wasn't for live sports and pro wrestling, I don't think I would uh, uh, have cable anymore. Still waiting for Monday Night Raw to switch over to WWE Network. How am I celebrating your, my upcoming birthday? Oh, boy, I'm 41 in less than a month. Last year was a big celebration for 40. I think it's going to be me and a couple friends and some ice cream. What is something a lot of people are obsessed with, but you just don't get the hype? I don't know. Westworld? Snapchat? Love? What song or movie do I like but rarely admit to liking? Whew, I, I admit to liking every shitty pop song that I uh, that's out there. Uh, I, I know Ace of Bass lyrics, uh, Britney Spears lyrics, Christina Aguilera lyrics. I, I know all that stuff. I got no problem saying with it. Uh, movie? Uh, you know what? There's some... Guilty pleasures out there. Spice World, Dirty Work. Love those movies. What is the best and worst thing about living with a housemate, or as I call it here in America, roommate? Eh, having your space encroached on. I've been very fortunate, though, to have uh, had a great roommates. I've never had a random roommate that I've uh, met online through, hey, putting out an ad. I've known everyone I've lived with, and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you get to know your friends a little too well. Um, but I've never had an issue. Uh, but the worst thing is space. You know, I still have one now. L.A.'s very expensive. Hopefully uh, moving out of my own soon. It is well past due, uh, but it's just easier. It is very expensive to live out here. Uh, Megan asks, finally, what is the best compliment I've ever received? I don't know. I think the best compliment I've ever received is all these questions from the nice folks that listen to my podcast. Final questions here. This is from Luke Highland. 
He says, uh, Ken, are you a Bob Dylan fan? If so, favorite song? I'm a Dylan fan. I, I'm not a Dylan aficionado. Shelter in the Storms, probably my favorite uh, Dylan song. Um, uh, and he says, uh, what's the most formal occasion you can get away with wearing jeans at? <sighs> if you do it right, Luke, you can wear jeans anywhere. And final, final question for this whole show and from Luke. Tips for self-confidence. Luke, I think you just have to pretend like it's all okay. I haven't reached that point. Hopefully you can reach that point, and then I'll ask you. That's it, guys. That is a lot. That is about an hour and a half of questions. I apologize, because that is a lot to put on your plate. But I felt I wanted to do this, and I felt I needed to do this as a thanks to the first 50 supporters on my Patreon page. And again, if you're not a supporter and you listen through this, God bless you. Uh, but if you uh, if you want to join up, go to patreon.com slash knapsackfiles and you can support there and get exclusives and uh, Q&A sessions and all those things. But I wanted to put this one on my public-facing podcast feed as a thanks to everyone who has supported me over the years as well. Even if you're not one of the first 50 Patreon supporters, Every download, every listen, every like, every comment, every positive thing, even the negative ones, I appreciate it all. The Knapsack Files has been a fun journey. I'm so glad it is back in 2017 and growing with uh, things moving forward. And it's all about that discipline, some regular schedule, all those things that I told you about. I still have to strive for it every day. That's it, guys. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ken Knapsack. Use the hashtag, The Knapsack Files, to respond to anything you've heard here today. I appreciate it so much. That's it. We'll see you next time. Time.